I am glad to be gathered here on a Sunday morning with you all. It is exciting to be here. It is so good to see. I don't, man, I don't know how you guys feel, but when I see people pouring into the house of God, it is an exciting feeling to see God's people gather. And here's how Paul would have said it in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He would have said to, to his young predecessor, to Timothy, he said, this is the church of the living God, the pillar ground and truth. This is the place you come to let the full weight of the gospel message of Jesus Christ bear on you, bear on your week, bear on the things that you are wrestling with. So I'm excited. Let me take, also take a moment to just quickly update you guys on where we will be going over the next several months uh, in our time in the pulpit. When I say that, I mean through our sermons. Uh, we've been going through the book of First Peter uh, for a while now, for many, many months. And uh, I, I really feel led to just slow down and actually press pause on First Peter for the month of August for several reasons. Number one, there's no small groups uh, happening through the month of August, and there are some parts within the next uh, few passages that we really need to process together. And so it's important that we do that. I don't just want to make this a Sunday morning sermon, but, sermon, but I want the series to actually uh, work out in the lives of our individuals that call themselves home. So uh, if you are a part of a small group, we will be taking a break from our first Peter series. Also, the month of August is just a, a lot of vacations come up and we don't want to break up the book. And so we will do today and for the rest of the month what's called standalone sermons, which is it just means it's not connected to a actual sermon series. So with that being said, why don't you guys indulge me and grab your Bibles or your devices. Go ahead and run over to Luke. Luke chapter 14. Uh, love is in the air, by the way. There, there are a few people that got engaged over uh, the last several weeks. Uh, Wendell and, uh, and, and uh, Lanisha got engaged. Amen. And uh, and, and Bevan and Ruth Ann, I don't know if you know them, but Bevan, he always comes here. He, he sits, is Bevan here? He's, now he's probably boo-loving with his new uh, fiance. <laughs> he always has the, the cool socks on anyway. Uh, Bevan and Ruth Ann also got engaged. So we are excited, man. Man, thank God for that. We're living in a culture where the divorce rate is literally above 50%. So when you see people actually getting engaged and taking that commitment to uh, actually do life together, it is, a, it is something that should be celebrating. And if you're single in here and you're waiting on uh, your, your man to come or you're waiting for that right woman to come, you should celebrate the ones that are getting engaged because you never know when it's going to be your time and we get to celebrate you. So once again, we're grateful for that. Uh, let me also quickly, before we jump in, just kind of, because I laid before you a need that we had several weeks ago, and that was to raise $2,000 for our VBS that, that happened last week. Uh, and I am so excited to be able to report to you and announce to you that we actually raised over what we needed. Amen. I try to be as transparent as possible, especially when I'm asking people to give towards, uh, towards the things of God. We raised $2,226, and I only asked you for 200 And so we are grateful. We got to serve kids over the last, uh, the last week, and so we're excited about that. And the Rock the Park uh, is going to be a, a great event. I mean, we will have so much going on. We're going to engage our neighbors. Uh, we get to, like, say hi to our neighbors. We get to do school physicals for... Um, for the kids that are going back to school, we will do face painting and food, and all of it's free. We're charging nothing for it, and so we're excited about that. And I told you guys we needed to raise 
$6,500. You actually already started making a dent in that. Uh, we've raised a little bit over $1,000. So if you guys would continue to give sacrificially, uh, don't make this in replacement of what you already give. We're asking you to be a little generous for the summertime so that we could continue to serve this community. That's what God has called us to do. He has not called us to just come huddle up together and then do nothing for the community, but he's called us, called us to seek the welfare of the city. Amen. Jeremiah 29 says, seek the welfare because in its welfare, you'll find your own. Amen. And so we want to we want to be serious about seeking the welfare of this city. And we want to do that through city renewal. We want to do that through evangelism. We want to do that through prayer. And so we're excited for what the Lord is doing. Anybody excited to be in this neighborhood? Do a die bed style. Anybody excited? <laughs> Amen. All right. Luke chapter 14. Um, typically how we do this on a Sunday morning, if you're a visitor, I usually read the passage, announce our theme and then pray. We're going to do it a little differently because there's 24 verses. So instead of reading all 24, uh, let me do this. Let me announce our theme, pray, and then we'll we'll dive in and read a little bit and talk a little bit. We're going to be talking today about exposing the heart, exposing the heart. Let us pray. Once again, Lord, we come before you uh, in desperate need of you. We don't come before you beating our chest. We don't come before you arrogant or prideful, but we come before you humbly, Lord, asking that your Holy Spirit would move in this place today. Father, would you, would you let the word of God really seep into our hearts? Let this not be an information dump. Let us not write a lot of notes and then go out and do nothing. But Father, I pray that today the Holy Spirit would convict us. Everyone in this room has something in their heart that is not right. All of us in this room. We come to the table with some type of sin in our heart. And I pray, Lord, that through the word of God today that you would expose it. We also pray, Lord, that you would remove distractions. Pray that you would remove anything that's a hindrance to you. And we pray that the gospel would be clear. Reality is every one of us in this room needed. If we have trusted Jesus 20 years ago, we still need the gospel like we needed it 20 years ago. And for those of, you, of, those, of the people that are in this room that have not trusted you, we pray that the gospel would snatch them up today, and that they would give their life to you. Would you ransom them and let them know that they are loved and redeemed by you? So may the gospel be clear. It's in Christ's name, in Christ's name alone that we pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. Exposing the heart. I was at the tender age of 15 when I was dating a young lady and... Uh, this young lady decided to break up with me. Now, I, I know you're like, why are you bringing that up? That's not a big deal. Why do you even care? First of all, you were 15. Second of all, how do you even remember? Um, but this was a very traumatic situation for me. And the reason it was traumatic wasn't the fact that she broke up with me. It was fact, the fact of how she broke up with me. Went through school, and uh, at the end of school, I, she said, I got to talk to you. And we got home. This is before we had cell phones. I got home, and uh, talked to her on the phone, and she decided to break up with me on the phone. Now, now that you may not say that was a big deal either. Maybe you've experienced that before. But that was also when uh, three-way calling started to come into play. Now, I don't know if you know how three-way calling worked. Um, so you, you know, nowadays, it just comes automatic on your phone. But back in the day, you actually had to pay for that feature to be on your landline phone. So we just got three-way. So you know, nobody knew how to use three-way when it first came out. And I'm talking to the young lady. She's breaking out with me. I actually liked her. You know, she's breaking out with me. I'm hurt and I'm sad. And I, I'm about to hang up the phone. It's about five or six minute conversation. I'm about to hang up the phone. And something said to me, hang on the phone for a few more minutes. And I hung on the phone for a few more minutes. And to my surprise, a male voice entered the call. 
I'm not making this up, man. I feel, I feel like I need therapy right now. <laughs> a male voice entered the call, and uh, when this male got on the phone, he was like, well, that seemed like that went well. And to my surprise, it was actually a good friend of mine, which made it more scandalous. Yeah, I'm, I'm hurting today, boy. But, but, but I upgraded. Somebody say I upgraded. And we just made 15 years. Amen. So that was the moment. That was the first introduction I had to the fact that I was set up. I mean, that's, that's how, I mean, and many of you in this room have been set up. Maybe you didn't have the same experience I did, but many of you have had an experience where you've been set up in some way. And most of us in this room that have been set up don't really like the feeling of being set up. Here's the great thing about it. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is able to empathize with us this morning. And the reason he's able to empathize is because in our text, he is being set up. And he does something great. He, actually, it's actually scary. When he's being set up, instead of being mad, instead of being catching an attitude, you know, Jesus could have blinked his eyes and zapped them dead. But instead of doing anything like that, he does something scary. He goes after their hearts. Why is that scary? Because most of us in this room that have trusted Jesus are surface level Christians. We'll work for Jesus. We'll serve, we'll give faithfully to the ministry, we'll come to church every Sunday morning, we'll go to small groups, but that heart thing, don't dig around in the issues of my heart. Let me just work for you. It's almost like, like Jesus is our employer and we're his employee, and we just want to work and work and work, but actually never get to the heart thing. Why? Because that actually takes work. And Jesus, in our text today, he is going to engage the people that are setting him up, but he does it in a way that he's going to go after their heart. And the reason he does that, just so you know, the reason God goes after your heart is because he always goes after right action with wrong heart. There, there are plenty of times where we've gone through the right motions. We've done the right things. We knew when to come to church. We knew when to lift our hands. We knew when to write notes, but our hearts are far from the Lord. God always goes after right action with the wrong heart. Remember when, I think it was Isaiah, I think it was around uh, verse uh, chapter 58, when Isaiah called all of Israel together, he said, I want you to do a fast. He called all of Israel together. He said, do a fast and worship through song. And he, when they get together and start to fast and they start to worship through song, he says, I hate your fast. I hate your songs. Like, can you imagine that? The God of the universe called everybody together, and they're obedient, doing exactly what he said. And when they get together, he says, but I don't like what you're doing. And the accusation that he made against them of why he did not like their fast was because they had right action with wrong heart. Even the fast they made about them. Bible says that they were arguing and bickering with one another. The fast was not about glorifying God. The fast was not about setting time aside so that God could be glorified. The fast was strictly about them. And so that is an example of God going ruthlessly after right action with the wrong heart. And in our text today, that is exactly what he's going to do. He is going to go after someone that has right action, but their heart is not right. Look at verse number one. We're in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. It says this. One Sabbath, when he went, he, talking about Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruling Pharisee. They were, they were watching him carefully. Let me lift up the first part of that again. One Sabbath, so we know it's Sabbath day. 
when he went to dine at the house of a ruling Pharisee. Now, many of you in this room will say, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good action. They've invited Jesus into their homes. All of us in this room would want to invite Jesus into our house. And so that's not a bad thing. By the way, side note, notice that Jesus accepted the invitation of an unbeliever. Jesus accepted the invitation to go to the house and dine with somebody that did not trust him and did not love him. I know you believers in here want to be so holier than thou that you can't be interacting with non-believers. But I tell you all the time, if your life is filled simply around people that love Jesus, how are you being missional? You should be around people that don't know Jesus. You should be around skeptics. You should be around people that are hostile to the gospel. Why? Because you may be their only hope of the gospel. Your life, your witness, your demonstration, your proclamation might be the only example that people get into uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to accept this invitation. So the Bible says that this, this ruling Pharisee says, come over to my house and dine with me. Now, that's good action. That's actually the right action. But here's the, here, here's, here's the, here's the, the, the wrong heart. It says, on the Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house, by the way, a ruling Pharisee. This is not just some, this is not a junior varsity level Pharisee. This is senior level. This is not a wet behind the ears, don't know the Torah, doesn't know the Levitical law. This is a ruling Pharisee. Why is that important? It's going to be important because of who else is at the house. Yes, Jesus is at the house, but look at what the text says. On one Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruling Pharisee. The Bible says, and they were watching him carefully. Can we agree that's an awkward lunch? If everybody at the table is sitting there staring at you while you're eating, that's a little bit awkward. And so what they're doing is they're watching him. The question that you should be asking is, why are they watching Jesus? Not just watching him. Why are they watching him so carefully? The text is going to let us in on why they're watching him carefully. Verse two. And behold, or voila, there was a man who had dropsy. Now, you should circle or underline that diagnosis of dropsy because dropsy is actually a it's a condition where the heart or the liver is malfunctioning and it's malfunctioning in a way that your body begins to retain water and while it's retaining water sometimes it can retain water so much that you become disfigured but what you need to be asking yourself is this is a ruling pharisee this is somebody who would have known memorized the first five books of the Bible. And one of those books is Leviticus. And Leviticus 12 to Leviticus 15 is clear that a man with dropsy is considered an outcast. You are unclean. You are not a part of, the, you're not a part of Israel. You are outside of the will of God. You are prohibited from entering the temple. You're even prohibited from hearing the Torah read. You're an outcast. This man would have lived his life ostracized. But notice the wrong action, the wrong heart. Here's right action. Let's invite Jesus over. Here's wrong heart. Let's invite Jesus over and the man with dropsy. I think all of us in this room should note that something is fishy in the text. How in the world does a man that is unclean, not supposed to be around Israel, happen to show up at lunch at a ruling Pharisee's house? How does that happen? Here's how it happens. Just like I was on the phone and I got set up. Jesus is being set up. Here's the setup right here. Here's the trap. The trap is let's invite Jesus over. 
Remember, it's the Sabbath day. Invite Jesus over. When Jesus comes over, let's also invite a man that is sick because it's the Sabbath day. Let's see if Jesus is going to heal him. Now, Jesus up until this point has already healed in the book of Luke, has already healed seven people. This would make eight, seven on the Sabbath. And so what they're, they're like, it's, it's almost like they don't know he's going to do it. So they bring this guy over. They bring Jesus over and say, let's just watch him. Here's the trap. If he heals him on the Sabbath, he's a lawbreaker. If he doesn't heal him on the Sabbath and he has the ability to heal him, he lacks compassion and mercy. That's the trap. Either way, they've got him. The only problem is, you know, he, he has this whole God thing going on. You can't trap God. You cannot, you cannot play a prank or play a trick on God. It's almost like a third grader trying to play a trick on his father. You can't do it. It's intrinsically flawed from the beginning. When I was uh, a few years ago, my kids were younger and I would come home and I would take the key and I would put it in the door. When I put it in the door, they would hear me come in the house and they would all, they, they both would run to different spots and try to hide before I got in the house. And it was funny because they would hide in places that were so obvious. They were hiding places, you know, it'd be like a lampshade that's real skinny and they'd be hiding behind it. You see their shoulders. The youngest one would be under the table and you could see them. And I'd play along. I'd walk around and I'd be like, these dudes really think that they're getting me. And I'd walk around going, where are you? Where are you? That is what it's like trying to play a prank on Jesus. You cannot do it. But yet, these Pharisees say, we're going to trap Jesus. And here's how we're going to trap him. We're going to trap him by bringing over a man that has Dropsy. Here, here's also, the, the, I think, what you really have to know. Our text has less to do with Sabbath and more to do with the heart. The reason is Jesus is going to go after them for this very reason. Like, understand what is happening here. They've invited a man who has spent his entire life as an outcast, ostracized, probably in some type of physical pain. He would have been a beggar because he could not get, make real money like re the regular people in the Israel community could. He would have been a beggar. But look how wicked the heart of the Pharisees are. They brought a man over that was sick just to use him to trap Jesus. They have wicked hearts. And if you're sitting in this room going, ah, I get that, but my heart's not that wicked. I would never use people like that. Well, the truth is you would. You would. You, in fact, I'm not going to say you would. The truth is you probably have. We use people to move up professionally. We use people in relationships. We use people for their credit. We use people for their cars. Like we use people all the time. There is no difference. And for some reason, we read texts like this and we always think we'd be on Jesus' side. Listen to me. You'd be the Pharisee inviting or a man would drop C over. Why? Because there's wickedness in our heart. He's exposing the wickedness in the Pharisee's heart. And as he's doing that, he's also exposing your heart in here as well. Do not disconnect yourself this morning from your own heart issues, your own selfishness, your own self-absorbed reality. Do not disconnect yourself from the text today. The text shows us that these men had a wicked heart and you do too. Well, I'm past. I don't have a wicked heart. I'm sorry. I, I met Jesus and my heart is good. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way. It says the heart is deceitful. It says it's desperately sick. And then it says who can understand it? We have wicked, sinful hearts. And even when we are doing the right things, we often do them with wrong motives. We 
often do them with wrong, wrong motives. I told you guys before, even love, we make that about us. I love you because of how you make me feel. I love you because you do things for me. It's self-absorbed. So Jesus is going to go after us today. He says, listen, this is about your heart. It's not about Sabbath. Do not twist it. This is not Sabbath only, but it is about the heart as well. Let's keep going. It says in verse number three, then Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? What he just did, this is dope. Jesus by asking this question, he's now taken the trap off of himself and put it on them. How does he do that? Because now if they say, yes, it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then they're now the lawbreakers. And if he says, if they say no, having Jesus there, but forbidding him to heal. Now they're the ones that lack compassion. They're the ones that lack mercy. And so that's why I love Jesus. Jesus will flip your world upside down with one question. He simply asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They don't know. Look at what the Bible says. It says, but they remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and he sent him on his way. So now he's he's now exited the party, but the party still goes on. You would think the party would stop there, right? They they are a glutton for punishments. And so Jesus is like, you still here? Well, I'm about to pound you some more. Verse five. And he said to them, which of you having a son? or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath will not immediately pull him out. And they could not answer these things. This is the second question that Jesus asked them. He simply asked them, if you had a son that fell into a well and it was Sabbath, would you pull him out? Here's how he's going after their hearts. Because in his mind, he's like, you would do it if it's somebody that you loved. But because you don't love this man that has dropsy, you used him to trick me. But, but if it was your son, you'd get him. And then he goes on further. He says, if it was an ox. Why does he say an ox? Because that's how they made their money. So if, if, it, if it impeded upon your ability to make gain, you would forsake the law. But because, it's, because you have a self-absorbed heart, you again tried to use somebody the same way I look at I look at this young man like he's my son or like he's the way I can make gain. And I love him like that. The same way these Pharisees love themselves. Jesus loved this man with, with this type of illness that was ostracized. And so the Bible says that he takes him, he heals him. And he tells them, which one of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. You will forsake that law if you could. And they could not reply to these things. Verse number seven. Verse number seven says this. And he told them a parable. He told the parable to those who were invited. Please underline this sentence. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So Jesus, so this is crazy. You would think they left. They didn't leave. So Jesus says, you want to stay? I'm going to roll into a story. And you know, that's how Jesus, when Jesus rolls in the story, you know, you messed up. And his story is a dope because you typically don't know that the story is about you until you like walking home. You like, dad, he just, (laughs) he just told me off in a whole little story. So the Bible says that when he saw how these people chose the places of honor, basically back in the day in ancient times, A meal like this, the table would have been set up like a U. 
So that, that picture that we see of the Last Supper with the table is supple, uh, the, the, the Last Supper, the table is straight. That's historically not accurate. At a meal like this, it would have been in a U shape. And at the bottom of the U would have been the host. The places of honor were to the right and to the left. And the further you got from the host, the more and more you were not that dude. And so the, the one to the right and the one to the left, these men, this is crazy. Jesus, after he heals the man, sends him out, he sits back in the cut and he watches the Pharisees stumbling around, jostling, trying to find not just seats. This isn't about seats. If you think that this is about seats, you are missing it. This is about their hearts. They not only lacked compassion by bringing this man that had dropsy in, they also were apt to walk into a room and think to themselves, nobody in this room is greater than me. How many of us do that? How many of us walk in a room and we won't audibly say it, but in our hearts we're like, nobody in this room has more rank than me. Nobody in this room is better than I. And so he's now going to go after their hearts. How? Why? By sit back and watching them jostle for seats. Once again, don't disconnect yourself because we seem to think that we'd be in the corner with Jesus going, get him, Jesus. I told him before you got here, I told all of them, stop jostling. No, you would be jostling for seats. And you know how we do it? We don't jostle for seats. They chose social status by where, they're, where they sat. We do it by what we wear and what degree we have and where our occupation, where we work and what giftings we bring to the table. We think we're above people by where we work. And in the text, they did it by where they sat. Listen, you would be jostling for seats. You would not be next to Jesus going, which, which one of them? And so when it says they're jostling for seats and trying to find places of honor, it's almost like one guy would walk in and write his name on the cup and put it down. Somebody else will come in and throw his cloak on another seat. Somebody come in and lick the fork and put it back down. You know, they're trying to pick seats based on their own positions and their own honor. And the Bible says that Jesus just sits back and watches, which is interesting because our text began by saying that they were watching Jesus. And now Jesus flips it on them. Now Jesus sits back and watches them. And I know he's sitting back like these idiots. These idiots, these fools, these wicked hearts, not only did they use somebody that was sick, but now they're all trying to jostle for positions of honor. And that would be us in this room. That would be you in this room. And it's crazy because we jostle for seats by stuff that, are, that is necessities, like shoes. Like you need shoes so that you don't walk and your feet don't bleed. But yet we take something as simple as shoes and we say, I'm going to sleep outside of the footlocker so that I can get a five, $600 pair of Jordans. We take something simple like that. Why? Tell me we don't do that. Tell me you don't, you don't feel like you are better than other people based on what you are wearing and where you work and where you live and what you drive. Tell what's in your bank account. You think you're better than people because of that stuff. We're jostling for seats. We are the people trying to choose places of honor. So we cannot disconnect ourselves from what Jesus is saying. And so the text says he sits back and he watches when he sees how these people chose the places of honor. But then he rolls right into a story again. These these guys must have been a glutton for punishment. Like the party's over after he heals the guy. Like I would have left at that point, but they didn't leave. They wanted to sit there. So Jesus is like, you want more? He rolls into another parable. This is what he says. Verse number eight. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the places of honor, 
lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he, and he who invited you both will come to you and say, give up your place for this person. And then you will be in with shame to take the lowest place. Verse 10. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher that you may be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now he turns his attention to the host and he says to the host, when he noticed how they picked the places of honor, he says, no, don't sit in the places of honor. No, go sit in a lowly place so that you can be exalted. This is not some manipulative way that Jesus is trying to say how you move up the, the food chain. This is, he's not saying act lowly so that you can be exalted. He's actually saying genuinely want to sit in the place of a low person where people that you would say, I'm better than them, prefer them to sit in the higher seat and you sit somewhere else. And so Jesus, I mean, really is going after the hearts of these men by giving this parable. And, and I don't know about you, but everyone that you invite in your life, into your life, everyone that you roll with, everyone that you're friends with, everyone you do life with, do you do life with them? Because you know, at some point, like, don't answer this, but at some point you think that they'll repay you. You think that at some point they'll make much of you. That is why he invited the guests that they have there. Did you notice what the text said in verse number 12? Uh, actually, in verse number, yeah, let me keep going. Verse number 12. And he said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. And in your mind, I know you like it. No, invite the rich neighbors. <laughs> Jesus says, don't invite them, lest they also invite you in return and you will be repaid. Look at what it says. But when you give a feast, now Jesus is going to give the guest list. Invite the poor. Invite the cripple. Invite the lame. Invite the blind. And you will be blessed. Here's how you're blessed. Be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. Again, we only do life with people because at some point they will repay us. Jesus says, don't invite people into your life that will only make much of you. Invite people into your life that can't do anything for you, that cannot repay you. And he considers that a blessing. That's a, and here's the gospel. Jesus invited you to the table of the kingdom of God because you were the poor, because you were the cripple, because you are lame. He did not invite you to the table because you brought something to it. He brought you there because you can't bring anything to it. And so the text tells us, no, invite them. Like Jesus lived out what he's saying in this parable. He's saying, listen, invite the poor, invite the lame. Don't invite the rich. Now we have a problem here because in the book of Ecclesiastes, it does tell us to have feasts and dinners with family and with friends. Everyone that Jesus just said, don't. In, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's verses, not just a verse, there's commands that say, have dinners with your family, have dinners with your friends, have dinners with your neighbor. What do you do when the Bible tells us to and not to? What do you just pick whichever one you want? That's not the right answer. I, I see some of you take notes for the first time, like pick whatever you want. I love epiphany. No, that's, 
That's not the right answer. That is not what Jesus is saying. Scripture always interprets Scripture. Jesus is, he's less concerned about the guest list and more concerned about the motive of why you invite people. Again, in the text, he's saying you invite them because you know they're going to repay you at a later time. And so we treat people in relationships as though they're investment properties. We treat people, we'll invest and we'll give time to people because we know that they're going to invest and give time back to us. But the text says, no, blessed is the person that invites the cripple and invites the lame and invites the blind. And I know you're like, I was never blind. No, you were spiritually blind. How do I know? Because Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says, having the eyes of their heart enlightened. I didn't even know my heart had eyes, but Jesus came to spiritually heal you of physical, of a, of a spiritual blindness, not a physical one. And so the text says, no, 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 this is who you invite. Let's keep going in verse 15. This is, this is how you know that people can hear Jesus talk and still not receive him. Verse 15 is how. If Jesus could get confused, he'd get confused right at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who, who will eat of the kingdom of God. This is crazy because Jesus just exposed them and said, you have wicked hearts. You invited a man that had dropsy. He was an outcast. You also are jostling for positions. And now I just called you out on that. I just told you about that. And a dude at the table just jumps up and is like, yeah, like it doesn't even make sense. If Jesus could get confused, he's scratching his head right here. At this point, he's probably saying, what in the, I'm talking about you, fool. You're the dude. And the craziest thing about this guy is he's actually saying this from a, from a position of thinking he will be at the table of the kingdom of God. You know, I know this is not about seats and about Sabbath because the text literally said back in verse 14, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is deeper than just action here on earth. He's now talking about the very kingdom of God. He's talking about being invited to the, the main feast, the feast when Jesus comes back for us. The, the, the rhetorical questions, I just want you to ponder. Just ponder this. Because again, we don't think this is us. Do you notice people, like do people have souls around you? Or do you think that everybody exists to serve you? The, the, the guy at the grocery store, the, the woman that slides your card at the gym, the person you sit next to on the train, does he have a soul? The person at the checkout cash line, does she have a soul? Your boss, does your boss have, I know you're like, my boss does not have a soul. I've checked in the, the boss, that one, no, he doesn't have a soul. Like do people, like we treat the world as though the world is some movie and we're the starring actor and everybody else is supporting cast. We treat the world like everything revolves around us. You do realize that the waitress, her only sole existence isn't to serve you. She probably has a life. How about you make eye contact with her? One time when I went to a TJ Maxx in New Jersey, and man, I, I was convicted because I, I went to this TJ Maxx, and I was, this was a couple years ago, and I was on my phone, and I was scrolling through Instagram. 
And I never even looked at the cashier, never even made eye contact with the girl. I'm sitting there on my phone. I'm giving her my stuff like she's supposed to serve me. She's ringing it up. I literally put the card. That was before the chip inside. That's first of all, that's the most confusing part of my day. Am I tripping or am I swiping? I never know. But that was back when it was just swipe. And so I swiped my card, never looked at her. I'm still scrolling. And finally, I actually bagged my stuff up. And as I went to grab the receipt, I made eye contact with this girl. And I actually knew the girl. I went to high school with her. This is not the girl that broke up with me. <laughs> Promise. This is another girl that I went to high school with. And the crazy thing is, as soon as I caught eye contact with her, it was almost like the Holy Spirit was like, she's depressed. Like, she's hurting. She's broken. And instead of engaging her in that opportunity, I left the store. I went on my phone and I went to Facebook and I found her and found out that she literally tried to commit suicide several times in the month before. The month before I saw her, but I never engaged her. I never engaged her with the gospel. Why? Because I thought she was existing to serve me. I would rather look at my Twitter feed or my Instagram timeline instead of engaging the young lady that needed the gospel. And many of us do that. I know you're looking at me like, Pastor B, you real simple. You do the same thing. <laughs> like, let's just be real. We think the world revolves around us. And the text comes out. He says, no, 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 no. This world doesn't revolve around you. Invite the blind. Engage the blind. Engage the, the poor. Like, when he's saying invite them, he's actually saying do life with those people. Yeah. Not even those people. Because, you know, when we say those people, we distance ourselves like we're somebody great. No, you are those people. You are the person that needed rescuing, and Jesus invited you, and he did not have to. Let's keep going. Where was I at? Verse 16. But he said to him, again, this is crazy. He rolls right deeper into the story. He said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike begin to make excuses. So this is, this is when you invite the family and the rich people. and the, This is not when you invite the, the, the poor and the lame and the blind. Look at what it says, verse 18. But alike, and they all begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. That's probably legit. <laughs> it is. I'm just saying. Don't, don't, don't leave the wife to go at a party. No, stay with the wife. Verse 21. So the servant came and responded and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes and the cities and bring in, here it is, the poor, the cripple, and the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded is done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men... None of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You do realize he's talking about the Pharisees. He's saying, you, you pick your guest list based on people that will give back to you. I'm picking my, base, my guest list based on the poor, the blind, the lame, and you're not even on that list. Remember the man in verse 15 that spoke up? He possibly, he possibly was not on this list. And again, 
This is talking about the kingdom of God now. He has moved from just your heart issues here on earth. Now he's moved to the greatest disconnect, and that is your heart not having affections for Jesus Christ. He says, no, I invite the poor and the lame and the blind. And the crazy thing is there's still room. And you know why there's still room? So that the poor, the lame, the lame and the blind don't get to a place where they're in a place of arrogance. Now the doors are closed and I made it in. No, we're always kneeling at the cross saying there's room. There's room. Please come. There's room. That is why we're in the community. That is why we evangelize. That is why we talk to people about Jesus Christ. The reason we do it is because there's room. He says, go in the highways, go in the hedges and compel again, not the people that can pay you back. Compel the people that are poor and blind and lame. And again, this has nothing to do with like physical finances. This is a spiritual poor and a spiritual, uh, uh, not a physical, but a spiritual cripple and a spiritual lame. Here's the gospel. That's you and I in this room. Like you and I have made it on the guest list because Jesus was gracious enough to allow you to be on the guest list. Like there is no prideful people in heaven. There is, no peop- there is nobody in heaven that is sitting in heaven going, I made it because I worked this job or because I had this degree. You do realize your degree, as much as you worked for it, as, as hard as you worked, it's not going to make it in heaven. It's not going to give you a social status in heaven. It's not going to help you before the throne of God. He's not going to be sitting there going, she got a PhD. That's great. You got a doctorate. You should come. No, all of us come poor. And all of us come with nothing in our hands, again, except the sin that makes those, the, the salvation even necessary. And so the Bible tells us, listen, invite the poor, the lame, and the blind. Here's what I know. Everybody in this room needs to do business today. We need to do business with the Lord because every one of us in this room have something in our heart. Either it's selfishness, either it's, it's uh, being lazy, either it's having wrong motives with right action, All of us in this room need to do some work before the Lord. And I'll go so far as to say all of us in this room need to repent. We need to repent. And you need to be thinking through your mind right now. What are those areas where I'm doing them and everyone else thinks I'm doing a great job. But in my heart, I know. I know I'm not doing a good job. If that is you, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've trusted the Lord. And you realize that you lack compassion. This is all of us are on the altar today. So I'm not calling anybody for it. Every single person that is here needs to get it right with the Lord today. And so maybe you're here and you are the one that lacks compassion. You're the one that lacks mercy. You're the one that uses people. Maybe it's some young man in here that's using a young lady. Maybe it's a sister in here that's using people to move up the ladder. Whatever it is, everybody in this room needs to wrestle with it today. Then there's another group of you in here that you don't need to start there. That's not your starting point. You haven't trusted Jesus. Ezekiel 36 verse 26 will say it this way. It says, I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What you need is a new heart. So if you haven't trusted Jesus, you should trust him today. There is no way behavioral modification doesn't save you. You need a new heart. You need need to transform your affections, and you can't do it alone. You need Jesus. Father, I'm praying today for some young man, some young lady 
that lacks compassion. Your text today told us about humility. I'm praying for that person that is prideful. And the crazy thing, Lord, if, if, I, can, if I can admit, out of our mouths, we'll say we're not prideful. But Lord, in our hearts, we are. There are times in our hearts, in our heart, that we legitimately are okay when people are doing, when people are doing bad that we think they should be doing bad. People that have done us wrong when something bad happens to them, we rejoice in our heart. We are wicked and sinful. Father, we need you to rescue us from us. We need you to perform surgery on open heart surgery this morning. Father, may we not disconnect ourselves from the text. May we not feel like I would be that person, but Father, we all would be. And we all have been. Would you forgive us today? Father, we repent of our lack of compassion. We repent for not being merciful. We repent for not being empathetic to people that needed it. Father, I also want to pray for that man or that, that young woman that doesn't know you, that is far from you. And maybe they're seeking this morning. Maybe they, maybe they came to church because they're trying to figure things out and life is hard and they're trying to just do that Jesus thing. Father, would you rescue them so that you wouldn't be a check off the list, but you would be there all. Would you save them today, Lord? We thank you that salvation isn't up to us. It isn't us to, up to us to walk down here and say, I'm saved. Salvation is based on grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. So, Father, you told us you've invited the poor, the lame, and the blind. That's us. Thank you for that invitation, Lord. So would you move in this room today? May, may, you, may you move us from being self-absorbed to actually confessing it to others talking to our, our accountability, our DNA partner, talking to our small groups. Yeah, I'm that person jostling for seats. I'm that person trying to pick places of honor based on occupation and degree. I'm that person that uses people, and I often do it. Father, convict us this morning and help us to realize that through that conviction, restoration can happen. We thank you, Lord, for getting at us this morning through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.